mean, we're right back where we started this entire podcast with the Nazis. I'm not joking. Wow. I'm not joking. There's so many Nazis in the X-Men, and Brian Singer is only one of them. (laughs) That is true. The first scene of the first X-Men movie is the Holocaust. Yeah. Wow. Pretty wild, though, huh? Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are concluding our listener-submitted and selected miniseries entitled, Would You Take It To Waititi Town? Covering every film directed by Taika Waititi. We will fully spoil today's film, Jojo Rabbit, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series because there currently are none. Emmett, how are you doing? I am doing so well. Feeling very excited about wrapping this one up and about the series to come. Also about, you know, the other things that will be cropping up in this series. And I think it ends on a high note. So good all around. Ooh, that is exciting to hear. And how might you be feeling this evening, Wade? (laughs) Oh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited to talk about themes. I feel like uh, not that often on this podcast. (laughs) Do we, you know, we got to talk about the plot. We do talk about the performances a lot, but Mm -hmm. not all that often do we talk about themes Hmm. or engage with movies that have such deep ones. So I'm excited about that. Even more excited because today we're honored to have a special guest returning to the pod. Please welcome Lena Bledsoe. I'm solo this time. <laughs> I'm I'm by myself. I'm a little nervous. Last time I had my handy dandy sidekick Macy. So, how does it feel? I've never done it solo, so I don't know. It's very exciting, and I also love this movie, obviously. So I'm very excited to talk about it and the themes as well. That'll be fun. <laughs> Hell yeah! Well, you, Lena, were one of the two people who submitted this series to us way back when we were taking them for Bumtober. Maybe we should have known then that it was going to win because no other series had two people also Mm. gunning for it. But what is it about Taika that you wanted us to cover? Well, as a avid listener, y'all's director and writer miniseries are my favorites to listen to. And I also just love Taika in general. So I was like, and I a little strategically knew he could win. So I was like, okay, if I want to pick something (laughs) that I could talk about, this is going to be an overall good choice for me and for, Mm. you know, the pod. So that was kind of my like initial thought process with it. And what is your history with Taika? Which one did you watch first and how many have you watched now? I guess I watched what we do in the shadows first. My dad told me I would love it. And I did. And then I saw Thor Ragnarok on accident twice in theaters. (laughs) Both times on accident. Well, it, it was one of those like, I got invited to go see it once and then like I made plans with someone out of town or something and like they were just going to see it so I had to and I am not a big Marvel person so mm-hmm. I was like I guess I'll go see it again <laughs> and then I saw that and I actually enjoyed it and I hadn't seen any other Thors and I still have not <laughs> and it was fine by itself and then I saw this which was hands down my favorite I love this movie watched it again last night remembered why I wanted this one specifically I tried <laughs> to watch Boy two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and my TV would not let me. So instead, I watched 
the worst Adam Sandler movie of my whole life, which is a totally different story aside from which, itself. Which which Adam Sandler movie would that be? I think it's called That's My Boy. Please, <laughs> Did it nobody. Come up when you searched boy. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> bought boy on something else and then we were like well we'll watch something and it was on netflix and the trailer looked good please nobody watch that movie please don't judge me for having seen it i'm embarrassed that it is going to be broadcast that i have seen that movie and that's all i'll say about that one <laughs> wow i'm sorry i just looked i've just looked up this movie please don't like seriously please do not it says it stars adam sandler as a middle-aged alcoholic who once enjoyed celebrity status for being at the center of a teacher-student statutory rape case as he tries to rekindle with his adult son, Andy Samberg. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> it's got Mila Ventimiglia in it. It's got, uh, what's your name from Gossip Girl? It, you're like, oh, this would be cool. It's so many big people. And it we couldn't stop. It's like a train wreck. Like, you have to watch it. You're uh-huh. terrified you're watching it. And then you're worse off in the end. <laughs> well, we won't hold that against Taiga. Thank you. I feel like I know the answer to this question, but would you give Jojo Rabbit a flop or bop? Oh, bop. Because I was like, I like this movie. Why was I so keen on this one? And then, yeah, I watched it again. And I was like, this is a bop, hands down. Mm. Emmett, uh, history with Jojo and flop or bop? I'd seen it once before, but I did not get to see it in theaters. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. And I really liked it this time. Hmm. But I don't remember the experience of watching it the first time very much. I just remember being kind of like, eh, okay on it. But this time I really mm-hmm. liked it. I think what you had said elsewhere from the pod about it being the most straightforward of all of his movies, narrative-wise, mm-hmm. and like kind of not being as weird in context of his other films as it might at first appear to be. Yeah, it, I think it was strengthened by having seen all of the stuff that came before it. Mm. Um, but definitely a bop for me this time around. Mm. Yeah, wait, flop or bop? And how do you feel about it before? I saw it in theaters, which was the only time I had seen it before. And I would say that time I was won over by it. Like, I definitely did like it. Mm-hmm. But it was more sort of from the twist, if we want to call it that, forward. That it like clicked into place for me the mm. first time I watched it. And this time, definitely I would give it a bop. Liked it a lot more on the second watch. I think both knowing what was going to happen and having like watched all of his other work like this puts it into context much better. Like some of the stuff I like the most about it is just sort of, I think, what it means for him personally and mm. making a movie about a mother for the first time after making so many movies about fathers. Mm, I didn't even think about it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. And I think despite, I'm sure we'll talk about this too, but despite a little bit of the controversy about making a funny movie about Nazi Germany, I do also kind of think that it's his least irreverent movie. Mm. what about it because both of you were kind of like especially you Emmett like what about it on the first watch were you just kind of like meh with it I think that I was like a little turned off by it being as funny and lighthearted, I guess as it kind of sometimes is but sometimes isn't I don't know I certainly feel a lot better about it on a rewatch than I did the the first time around and 
I don't know why exactly that is. It might be because now I have more of an idea of where he's coming from. And mm-hmm. so it feels more, more like something that he has like kind of earned through other work that he has done in a way. Yeah, totally fair. Whereas if you just like kind of see it out of context, you're like, wait, what? Like who, who is this person who's like, thinks that they can do this thing, but like think that you look at Taika's work before this and it backs it up and you like, look at who he is and like, yeah, like just like the kind of work that he creates and it backs it up. I like watched a couple of interviews his sense of humor is what I have tried to have in the past and can't because he's got this like talent to back up his so sarcastic, like I'm great. I can Mm -hmm. say this. And that's like where this movie lives. And so, yeah, if you can't make that land, it's very awkward. And I have made that mistake uh, before. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, I thought this was going to be funny, but nobody understands that I'm making a joke of myself right now. (laughs) I think the first time I watched it, Looking back on it now, I feel like what gave me pauses, I was kind of looking at it as a comedy, mm-hmm. which I don't think it is. But that's certainly how they marketed it. Because this is one of the first movies after the Disney-Fox merger. Fox made this movie, but this is one of the first movies that like Disney put out. And they were like clearly terrified of it. Because like on every poster and trailer and everything, it said like, jojo rabbit an anti-hate satire like they had to put the disclaimer on every single thing so i feel like i went in thinking it was going to be a comedy about how dumb nazi germany was and it's not that at all it's like a drama with a little bit of taika's touches of humor yeah and like his light comedy you know but it's not like a laugh a minute like what we do in the shadows Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like as much of a huge send up as it is like an actual story. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the humor in this movie comes more from the absurdity of the situation. Like, like I think one of the craziest, weirdest, most uncomfortable moments in the whole thing is when all of the Gestapo guys come in and <laughs> oh, yeah. everyone is hiling for like a whole like a minute straight but they have to do it every time somebody new comes in the room it makes you deeply uncomfortable to watch but it is also so absurd and weird and dumb and you're like wait would they have really have had to to do that like if like and that is magical pointing at like the empty stupidity and uh, narcissism at the center of something like fascism I feel like, especially in that scene too, and the whole thing, it's like he sets you up in these uncomfortable moments and then he gives you a second to to breathe and like meet him there when Elsa has to also do it. And obviously Mm. that's the worst Mm -hmm. possible thing that could happen. But it's like, okay, we recognize what's happening here. You could laugh. And now we're still in the world of it without it being too like, they're all dumb or this is all horrible. You're more with them than laughing at it. Yeah. Like, it's in the little details, like you were saying, and where the comedy is coming from. Like, one of the very best lines for me is from Yorkie at the end, where he's like, the only people are on our side are the Japanese, and they do not look Aryan. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that kid. (laughs) He gets it the whole time. He knows where where he's at and what he's doing. It was, yeah, so funny. Did either of y'all see the movie The Book Thief? No. So the book is fantastic, but this is the movie that that movie wishes that it could have been. 
Okay. Hmm. That's a book about a young girl growing up in Nazi Germany and her family ends up harboring a Jewish man in the in their basement and about like her slowly becoming disillusioned with the whole like you know she's also part of Nazi youth. It's a much more serious book than I would say although I think it's serious in the same way that this movie is serious and has like moments of lightheartedness in it as well. And I think that that's what that movie lacks is any sort of lightheartedness anything to balance it out, anything to make you believe that it was real children and real people as opposed to actors in a high drama. Because, like, real people, even if you're living in horrible conditions, you still, like, have a life. You're, and you're not, like, every moment living um, living an Oscar scene. <laughs> Specifically, the production design, like how bright and poppy it is, mm-hmm. was inspired by, like, talking to people who actually were Hitler Youth. Mm-hmm. Like, were little kids during the war. And they were like, yeah, it wasn't, like, a sad time. Like, we were kids, and it was fun to be a kid. And you had, like, this superhero who you looked up to, you know? So I think you're right. Like, they were living regular life during this historical time. Mm-hmm. And that's what this movie is, like, talking about. It's beautiful. What were some of the reasons, Lena, that this one was your pick out of the whole series to talk about first off kid actors to me are the best performances when done well mm-hmm. my number one child performance ever is jacob tremblay in room with brie larson have you uh-huh. both seen that movie i have not seen that movie oh <sighs> i have not either oh okay i love tremblay he was i think six or seven in that i also do a lot of children's theater i've directed it like basically since i was 14 15 i've worked with kids pretty consistently and and this movie captures it perfectly throwing your entire body and yourself in it and basically like that is their life right then it's not like they can pull from other things necessarily they're just like this is what i'm being given so i'm going to give that back to you so watching him in this movie i wanted to talk about it and talk about child actors and the beauty Mm. of that and then also i also listened to a lot of interviews with taika waititi on this and the theming of it and the symbolism is so easily understandable like across the board it makes it to where if you're older and you're watching this, you can connect to one thing. But if you're, you know, 12 or 13 and you're watching, it's like, oh, I, I got that too. And it like beautifully opens up the conversation to like, yes, this is funny, but here's the horrors of this time. And I think it's just executed perfectly to where you know what you're getting. You recognize what this movie is trying to say, but you can also just sit and enjoy it for what it is and the art that they give you. And that's why mm-hmm. I like this one. I wanted to just talk about. Yeah, it is a very good like conversation movie. In the interviews, like, he can just execute so well his whole vision. Mm. He doesn't have to overexplain himself. It is what it is without being too pushy, I guess. I don't know how we're going about this one, but I just want to talk <laughs> about two performances in this that are simply incredible and like two scenes that people get to have in this movie that are just the best. First one I want to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, she could have been anyone. She could have played any character under the sun, you name it, a tree, a dolphin. Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, maybe. (laughs) She thinks she could. It's Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) She is incredible in this movie. When she, like, the scene where she turns into the father and, like, puts the coal across her face and, like, flies off the handle at the kid, like, all the pent-up anger that she's been holding and hasn't been expressing for, like, 
the entirety of probably the past like four years or whatever. I don't know, maybe seven, like probably the entire wartime since whenever the dad left. She's been holding all that in, taking care of him, then freaks out, lets it go on him, and then has a conversation with herself to calm him down and go and apologize. <laughs> Unbelievable. It is so good. Second up, Sam Rockwell mm, in the last I scene of this movie. Him. Like in that last scene when they're rounded up, I mean, throughout the film is great and is, I also thought that this time around tracking him more, his turn at the Mm. end did not come as much of a surprise and like felt, I was like tracking it the whole time was like, oh yeah, he did get there. It isn't just like, he's there from the, like he's getting there from the very beginning. Like he's already on his way. When I think of this movie, the scene where he comes out in his blaze of glory, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful, uh-huh. whatever he's wearing, like, that's the first thing I think of when I think of this movie. And the first time I saw it, I had to pause it and be like, oh, it just makes you feel so good in a horrible, horrible, like, your protagonist is stuck in the middle of the thing that they wanted the whole movie, and you still get this beautiful image at the end. Oh, okay. Total side note and, like, thing about Sam Rockwell that I like wanted to ask you to on this. If I was ever, they ever made a movie about my life and someone had to play my dad, I would 100%, it would be Sam Rockwell. (laughs) So fun question for you two. If someone were to play one of your parents, you can think about it for a while. What famous person would you want to play your parents? I think Willem Dafoe has already played my father in several films. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Willem Dafoe for your father. The one that comes to mind. Okay, okay. You know, I've actually got to say, I think I talked about this a tiny bit on Oscar Watch, but when I watched The Lost Daughter, uh, which has Olivia Coleman as an American middle-aged mom who's a teacher on holiday, I just really like thought about my mom the whole time mm. because she's also a teacher and... I could definitely see Olivia Coleman playing my mother. Beautiful. I just was curious. I, I love him. He also just kind of looks like my dad, Sam Rockwell, does. But yeah, him in this movie is perfection. I love him. I also love him, and I think his performance is incredible. I don't mean to imply anything about your father, but this, Lena. But he has he might, kind of. I mean- <laughs> he's made a career of playing problematic faves, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that is his role in everything, is sort of like the person who has done something bad or is affiliated with something bad, but like has a heart of gold and like slowly makes the redemptive choice. I mean, going back to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Which is the best <laughs> thing. Even in Trolls World Tour, where he's like, Oh. The yodeler and secret <laughs> on the low. Yodeling He's like the, the bad guy who lets them go. Get yeah. this: this is the, his third year in a row, Jojo Rabbit, to be in a picture nominated for best picture. Uh, and I think he got nominated in the past for best supporting actor in 2018 and 2019, um, but I don't mm-hmm. think he won. Either you watch Fosse and Verdon, the Bob Fosse. No. I've heard he's good in that. Yeah, same exact. Just like you hate him and you love him and want him to like sit there and watch it with you. It's yeah, he's fantastic. Have y'all ever seen the movie Moon? Yes. Yes. Back in the day. Sam Rockwell playing himself. Well, not playing himself. Sam Rockwell playing a character named Sam at least twice. 
very exciting stuff, takes place on the moon, and he's the only character, but there's more than one of him. Okay. It is really cool. Psychological thriller sort of stuff from early aughts when that was like a real thing that people were getting into. Yeah, him and Alfie Allen, who's, I don't know the name of his character, but like his boyfriend and co-worker. It's just so funny to watch them in the background of every scene. And yes. What, like what they're doing at every moment is so hilarious. It is definitely one of those movies you need to watch like a couple times, especially their arc, because it's like so mm-hmm. there from the beginning, but you don't get that at first because it's not what you're paying attention to. That then makes like their big scene even better. And then his that final scene where he lets Jojo go, like you think that they've gotten you with the twist with Rosie, the mom. Mm-hmm. And then you get that scene, and that is even not harder, but you get to see the choice in it. Oh my! Oh, yeah, oh, it hurts so good. It hurts so good. To me, like the end is incredible, but the showstopper scene is the scene when the German investigators come to visit, mm-hmm. and it just mm-hmm. like like that is to me the funniest and the tensest scene. Mm-hmm. And I think Taiku does such a good job of escalating it, where like. They come in and then Sam Rockwell comes like presumably to save the day. Mm-hmm. You're like so worried that they're going to find her. And then she just comes down and you're so scared for her the whole time. But him in that scene talking about like the choices he makes, you can so clearly read what he's doing through all of it. And it's really powerful stuff. Watching like a couple of interviews with this cast. This seems like the most fun group of people that like take themselves just seriously enough to get the work done, but are still like just hanging out. Mm. I love it. Here's my question about him in that scene. Do you think that he has seen that they are there at the house and he kind of knows what's going on? So he's like there to protect Jojo. Or do you think he was coming there because he knows that the mom got killed that day and he's coming to tell Jojo that? I think the way he runs in, I took it more the first way of like, I have to go to oversee the situation. Yeah. Just because he's also like out of breath and he said he had to carry his bike. So he's like trying to validate why he was running, I guess. He saw mm-hmm. it. But that's, yeah, that's kind of the way I took it. Yeah, I definitely thought he was like trying to come in there and aid him in some in some way. And I think he might have known more about what was going on with his mom than he let on. He definitely mm-hmm. does. Right? Like he he might be involved in the whole thing with the dad too. And like be a same part of that same group of people. Like otherwise, why would she trust him to like look after her kids specifically, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's got to be well, that, especially in the scene where JoJo's first getting in with that group after he got blown up. Why would she have so much status and be so confident over him <laughs> if they weren't working together? I mean, she kicks him between the legs. Like <laughs> yeah. she's in charge there. So unless like they both have reasons that they could take the other person down, yeah, I think that they were like. Yeah, working pretty closely together. And if you were a mom who, as we see in like one of the scenes, is kind of feels like she's lost her son to Nazism, like why would you sign him up for being in Nazi camp twenty four seven? Right. Unless you knew he was in really safe hands. Mm-hmm. One of the opening scenes where they're at the Nazi kids camp uh-huh. is nuts. It sets up this whole <laughs> movie. Rebel Wilson. It's also fun in a horrible but what i love about sam rockwell again and about those lines is he's you from the bat are with him on the like this is absolutely crazy i'm letting kids do it i don't really care we're gonna let him throw some grenades all right 
<laughs> you know, I work with kids now, too. And, like, some days, you just gotta let them throw some live grenades. It's just something something that has to be done sometimes. They've got a lot of energy, and you can't really control it anyway. If, they, you know, if they're gonna blow something up, they'll blow something up. They'll learn their lesson. JoJo obviously did, eventually. So... Yeah. Again, we talked about, like, Thor starting with uh, the joke of him, like, hanging and twirling around that tells you, like, what the movie is. I feel like the scene in this where the little kid throws the knife and then it hits the tree and stabs himself in the leg. <laughs> oh, like, just one yeah. of the other kids. That's when you know what this movie is. We haven't even talked about one of the best parts. Yorkie, little baby, cute little chubby baby. Mm-hmm. Him, when they're laying in the tent. Uh, Jojo was talking about he's gonna fight for his life for Hitler and Yorkie's like I thought I was your best friend and he's like unless you're Hitler in a little fat boy's body and he's like no I guess I'm just a little fat boy in a little fat boy's body so Uh, sweet I just want to squeeze him he was perfect he is so funny and like all that stuff where he's like the hardened soldier at the end is hilarious too or it's they're saying it's paper like material his little (laughs) outfit so good I feel like a lot, like there's a lot of kid performances in this, and they're all good. And uh, Elsa, she's really good. I have not seen her name is Thomason. I don't know her last name. The McKenzie. way she speaks in this movie does bother me a little bit. I don't know if that's how she talks in general. Mm. The first time I watched this, I remember being like, Ugh. I didn't like the way she spoke. So that made me kind of like, as an actress, I was just like watching her as an actress. I was just like, it took me a second to kind of get with her where she was at. But other than that, watching it again, knowing okay, she's gonna. I don't love the way she's speaking, but I liked her performance. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? She, like, mumbles her words. Yeah, I guess I thought that was a choice, maybe. I don't know. Because no, I think of, so, like, too. Okay. It doesn't bother me, but I do know what you mean about her, her voice. Yeah. Speaking of, maybe my only major criticism of this movie is that I do feel like, I feel like it's held back in some ways by the German accents. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because we've watched all of these, but like you can hear the Kiwi accent rhythms in the lines. Mm. I really felt. And then they're sort of done a little bit differently. With and also like everyone is doing a different German accent, which doesn't really bother me, but it feels like some of them are more held back by that than others. They spoke on this a little bit where they kind of expected to have like a heavier accent and then Taika kind of said he I mean obviously it's such a period piece he didn't want it to exist out of the period but that wasn't what he was like focused on necessarily he wanted to make sure everything was like clear mm-hmm. and understandable more than which for a play I guess would make more sense but I think that's kind of like where he might have been coming from yeah oh you might not even ask this waiter Emmett but I'm gonna ask anyway because we haven't talked about it Taika playing Hitler himself like what did we think of that. Well, I will say before, like several other of his roles in his movies, it's not one that he wrote for himself. Mm. So that's the behind the scenes. He was intending it to go to someone else and the studio huh. said that it should go to him and actually made it, I believe, one of the requirements. They were like, we will do this crazy movie for you, but you have to be the one playing Hitler. Interesting. He also said that he spent absolutely no time researching the actual Hitler in any way whatsoever. He was just like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, he said, yeah, I saw that. He's like, I'm not going to give him that validation. I don't owe him that at all. It was cool, too. I listened to Jojo, the actor, 
him talk about how Taika was such a fun, amazing person to be around. But then sometimes when he was like in the Hitler garb, it it did take on a bit more of a serious <laughs> and kind of scary tone sometimes. It yeah. was very fair, but totally. interesting to watch. I think it's pretty funny. Like most of the time he is, seems to be playing someone a lot closer to who he usually plays mm-hmm. and not actually not even like his cartoon version of Hitler, but just like the imaginary best friend dad. And then every once in a while, he is like, does the thing where he gets like scary and like starts ranting. I mean, I think it's like a very interesting multi-layered sort of performance where sometimes he's just seems like he's Jojo's worst half, but then sometimes he seems like he's actually Hitler. There's something interesting to that, to, like, sometimes, to how close those two things are, how, like, the impulse to, like, chase after your childlike sense of, like, I've been hurt, so I must hurt in return, or whatever, so easily leads into more toxically violence, more thought-out sort of thing. I feel like there's something to it being both of those things, both, like, your personal id and also, like, the id of the country, maybe, or... There's a scene where I think Jojo's finally starting to, when he's coming around to Elsa and like she could be a friend and then Hitler goes into like gets angry with Jojo and it sounds like he's giving a genuine speech that Jojo might have heard or like Hitler might have Mm -hmm. actually given and then Mm -hmm. he breaks it and like jumps out the window or something crazy and so you get, it's written so well of the like obviously that Jojo has been fed and like spoon fed the propaganda of the area so he's got that in there (laughs) like he knows who hitler Mm -hmm. actually is but it's still yeah from his point of view you don't get taken away from that for too long which i love like in the writing yeah i feel like he is the performance is at its best when he is serious about it too Mm. like in those scenes where he gets angry or where he is just like confronting jojo about clearly liking her more and more i think he's really good in those and that relationship between Jojo and Elsa is so beautiful, spanned out. It's not too quick. It's not, you're so there mm-hmm. with them the whole time. Oh. They even have that same scene from Hunts for the Wilder People of like it going around in a circle and them showing up in different parts of the room instead of different parts of the woods. Oh, yeah. You know what oh, I'm I talking about? That one too. Yes. Yeah. I generally think, just to talk about the technical stuff for a little, that like the production of this movie is really high. Mm hmm. Like the colors they use, the framing, I think, goes back to some of that stuff we saw in Eagle versus Shark and Hunt for the Wilder People, like very symmetrical, pleasing framing, um, the costumes even. And it's also done in a different aspect ratio, which is the first time he's done it, made it feel like much more prestige which I guess this is. But he said it's like much closer to full screen than widescreen. Mm-hmm. And he said that that was a decision because a lot of the movie, more than his others, was like two people in a room talking. And he wanted to get as much into the frame of that as he could. Yeah, it feels it looks very expensive, the movie does, in comparison to yeah his other films. Definitely. Oh, question about like when this movie came out. Speaking of like Oscar things and stuff like that, I, this was in the same Oscar bracket as Parasite. And mm-hmm. I remember watching both of these at the same time. And I enjoyed this movie so much more than Parasite. Mm. personally what did you like in comparison to that in the oscar realm of it all like did y'all see it around that time wade you did right you saw it in theaters yeah i saw both of them in theaters around that time i 
liked them pretty similarly at the time. Mm. I don't know. I think they're both really good, but I feel like now I would probably slightly prefer this one because of doing the Taika series. Fair, yeah. I also feel like the way I read this movie in 2019 is a little bit different than the way I read it in 2022. I don't know if that's true of you guys too, but I feel like I read it entirely as a reaction to the president and his supporters. Oh, that's fair. Like taking it more as like a commentary than like just, yeah. It's weird with, like you said, with the advertisement the way this movie was advertised and stuff didn't like set itself up in the way that it played out. Yeah. Especially in the time that it came out. It's funny too, with this movie, I had talked to my mom. I was telling my mom that I was doing this tonight and she was like, I don't like movies like that. And I've heard you both talk about this on the pod. Like the first one, you, you kind of compare them to Wes Anderson a little bit because I guess the coloring is like similar in their movies and maybe the way they approach things. But I was like, it's not Wes Anderson, mama. It's, (laughs) this is different. You will like this one. I don't know. I don't really get people get them confused, I guess. I don't know. I don't really understand that. Well, that's something that I felt before doing this series and now watching all of them, I don't get it at all. So I don't really know what it is. I guess it's just like wacky and kid actors. The main place you've seen that before is Wes Anderson. But Taika is like so unique in doing it. Mm -hmm. But I will say when this movie came out, like a huge amount of the critical response was comparing it to Moonrise Kingdom. Interesting. Mostly unfavorably. Weird. Hmm. Yeah. Which I, I've seen Moonrise Kingdom and I liked it, but I don't really remember what it's about other than like a, a little kid on the run or something. Yeah. I guess it's like kids in, because they were the little like camp outfit in Moonrise Kingdom, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess if you couldn't remember, it's like, oh, it's a kid. And you can see like the colors of this movie. I don't know. But it's just mm-hmm. so weird that everyone does that with those two. It does seem like this movie is about a little bit more than Moonrise Kingdom is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. I think that all of Taika's movies have, like, real subtext and layers to them. And I also just think, like, his indigenous background is such a huge part of, Mm. like, all of the films he makes, which just gives them, I don't know, a perspective that a white filmmaker wouldn't have, who is most of our prestige auteurs. Yeah, he said in the interview, I have to not only make this movie with, like, a kid as the lead, but... I have to make the audience enjoy watching a little white Nazi boy. Like you have to feel <laughs> for him <laughs> yeah. and like about finding that actor that could do that, but also like writing a story that you want to follow and root for someone like that. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting to hear him speak on. That was pretty cool. Way to your point, your earlier point about it reading differently now than it does when it came out initially. I also kind of read it as a kind of hashtag resistance film filmmaking. I think it is more interesting and more complicated and better and longer lasting than that. I think this is a movie that like in another 25 years out of the context, hopefully of like Mm -hmm. fascism on the rise in the United States is still an interesting and worthy look at world war ii germany out of our current global national context it still works and has something to say about not giving into you know that sort of impulse both in culture and on the personal level as well i think and i think that's like what's really interesting is because like it consistently plays out in him in like little choices that he makes like little cruelties that he commits Mm -hmm. um throughout the film that you have to 
that you can forgive him for individually the things that he does, but you know he has to be steered clear of those things for it to come to a believable happy ending. I also something I noticed watching it again, you kind of get the like childlike view of it, and everyone's kind of a caricature of themselves in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Except for when you meet Elsa, she's this very grounded, obviously, and like just a human that he he has all these ideas about. But as soon as you meet the character, it's not like that. I mean, well, when you first meet her, she's like a horror monster. Like she oh, yeah. does, like play- the girl from the ring coming thing. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's not as every everybody else is just like yeah introduced. I just love that childlike. Everyone is big, and all the problems are big, and I'm in these big problems, and. And then it like slowly hones in onto the actual like people and what they're having to go through, which is beautifully yeah. done. I love the shot where she like her long skinny arms reach out and grab him on the shoulder and slams him up against the wall. That was such a cool shot. He's running yeah. towards the door. And they do what I'm pretty sure is a Twilight homage, right? Where they do like the I know what you are, say it. Say <laughs> it. Incredible. And one of the best jokes in the movie. I also think that Scarlet kind of underplays it and is the least huge character, you know, Mm. like she definitely has those moments. But like, I was definitely really struck just seeing like a lot of scenes of a mom and her son eating dinner in a Taika movie, you know, like when you compare that to like the big stuff that Rebel Wilson and Sam Rockwell are doing. I love the way that they introduce her to where he's in the hospital bed and he's gone through this whole montage of he got blown up and then she just... You see her silhouette. She walks in. She stops. She turns and she walks towards him. You immediately like know who that is. You understand her character perfectly. Yeah, this is also the same Oscar season that Scarlett was in Marriage Story. Oh yeah, which she's also really good in, and also has like a very emotional climax involving her tying someone's shoelaces. Really? Oh, which is just like a weird, <laughs> a weird coincidence. The shoes in this movie too. Mm-hmm. that scene where he walks up to her hanging and oh mm-hmm. did you cry did either of you cry the first time i did this time i cried at the ending okay when the german version of heroes kicks in and they start dancing oh yeah when i is... cried watching yeah i did not uh this time around i also split up my watch of this unfortunately just because of my i was doing crazy travel today Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was kind of like split up at different times, but it still, I mean, it still hits. I was looking something up here to answer a previous question of yours, Lena, about where I thought this fell in with Parasite and the other movies from that year. I honestly, if I was going with my heart, I would have given this to Little Women by Greta Gerwig. This oh, year. okay. Yeah. I love Parasite and I think it's a great movie. I think this this movie, that movie, and Little Women and 1917 are all like on an equal scale, great movies, all in different ways. Um, that I all think could like could have been eligible for it, but my favorite is Little Women. Good one as well. Yeah, that was a good year. Good. That was That's a really good that. year. That's crazy, and all very entertaining and movies that like everyone movies that everyone's mm-hmm. actually watching. Yeah, yeah, that was my first year actually. Like being like, I'm curious to see who's gonna win because I've seen so many of these movies without them before they were nominated or before. Oh, this movie's at the Oscars, so it's a big one. Yeah, Just entertaining movies. I was thinking about this the other day. I do think that Little Women is the best movie we've ever covered on the podcast. Wow. 
I would be hard pressed between that and us, but oh man, I mean, I've had a fever to rewatch us, but we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode. We're going to talk <laughs> okay. about the Nope trailer later. But okay. yeah, yeah, you're that's a good one. I mean, just like talking about I sheer quality and just scope and oh my god, yeah, that's another 2019 movie which should have been in the best picture in the best picture nominee instead of Ford V Ferrari. Are you kidding me? Who saw that? Whose dad yeah, here saw that? Anyone? <laughs> Cause that was no. the target audience. And if even our dads didn't watch it, then there was really no point. <laughs> Another 2019 movie, the hustle, which I oh, think rebel God. Wilson redeems herself for in this movie. Um, no, I don't think you redeem yourself for being terrible in a terrible movie for being okay in a great movie. (laughs) Okay. I want to say this, the bit where she says like, my friend met a Jew and he had to divorce his wife and (laughs) got mind controlled into having an affair. That's first of all, hilarious. Second of all, the exact same thing as Nicki Minaj tweeting, my cousin got the vaccine and became impotent and had to call off his wedding on the wedding day. (laughs) Yeah, that... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Damn. Okay, I'm gonna... we're, We're gonna roll through the segments here. A little bit of the tale of the tape. This movie is written and directed by Taika Waititi. It's the sixth one. He directed the fifth that he wrote because he didn't write Ragnarok. It is adapted from the 2008 novel Caging Skies by Christine Lunens. Has anyone here read the book? No. I didn't even know it was adapted you from a book until was... yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. And from what I read, the book is like actually very similar. It just doesn't have the Hitler friend, imaginary friend. And I think it's much darker in that the time that Jojo spends telling her the war is still going on is like much longer. Uh, Mm. I think that's like the second half of the book, basically. Damn. Do they still dance to the German version of heroes at the end of the book? (laughs) Because that's definitely my favorite part. (laughs) The score for this is by Michael Giacchino, who's one of my faves from all the way back in the lost days. I was very surprised that we have never covered a movie he's done before, but uh, he just did Spider-Man No Way Home and The Batman, and he's coming back with Taika to do Love and Thunder. Hmm. Jojo Rabbit, running one hour and 48 minutes, released October 18th, 2019, by Fox Searchlight. Budget of 14 million, box office of 87 million, critically mixed, you know, as we talked about a little bit. There was a controversy in some ways about it, but there was also a lot of praise. It was nominated for six Oscars at the Academy Awards. Costume design, production design, editing, best picture, supporting actress for Johansson, and best adapted screenplay for Taika, who won, which I think really lovely completes an arc that his career has started by getting nominated for an Oscar in 2004 for his short film, Two Cars, One Night which he doesn't win, and then he wins this one at the cap of his most recent film. Mm. He is also the first indigenous person to ever win a writing Oscar. He does everything on this movie. It is crazy. Like, watching him direct in the Hitler costume (laughs) is crazy to watch. (laughs) Like, when the the behind-the-scenes videos, it's like, there he is, a little clip in his hair and his little mustache. (laughs) So silly. Wow. Emmett, 
how would you summarize the plot of Jojo Rabbit for those at home who may not have seen it? I thought you were going to ask me how would I like to direct in a Hitler costume? <laughs> <laughs> well, that as well. Yeah, that please as well. <laughs> oh, man. I don't want to draw any more comparisons than I already do. <laughs> no, I... Uh, what? What was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> How, what would you? How would you describe the plot of Jojo Rabbit for anyone who hasn't seen the movie? Oh, it's kind of like Schindler's List, and also not like that. <laughs> Wait, something I want to say about that? Yeah, is that I I haven't seen Schindler's List, but I was I read the other day that there was also a major controversy when that movie came out that really? people thought it was too lighthearted. That Schindler's List? No, you're are you joking? No, I'm being <laughs> so serious. People were like. Steven Spielberg is just too entertaining, too crowd pleasing of a of a director, and that he has made like a film about the Holocaust that is this watchable. There are like no like no movie about the Holocaust should ever be this enjoyable and crowd pleasing to watch. That is okay, that is a, an interesting take. Certainly a take. But if, I mean, those people need to watch Jojo Rabbit then, because my God. <laughs> well, I would imagine it's the same people. <laughs> I, I feel like those people are like, you know, probably had to get like a double bypass after they saw Jojo <laughs> Rabbit. If that's how they felt about Schindler's, if Schindler's List was too lighthearted, wow. What what happens in this movie? There's a little boy. His name is Jojo. He's deeply enamored of the whole nazi thing because he's a kid growing up in nazi era germany he's going to nazi youth summer camp and having a great time blowing stuff up and learning how to kill people until he blows himself up by accident with a fifth a failed grenade mm-hmm. he is uh, like a little bit disabled in his leg like to a minor degree so he's got like a limp at first he can't walk and then later he's got a limp and he's all like scarred up in his face um which he is really upset by and i think that other characters in the movie kind of like blow past but i on the second watching i was really tracking how upset he is by that and how Mm -hmm. much that matters to him and how much hitler like uses that against him in moments where it turns darkest i think that's really interesting too in short order, uh, once he gets out of the hospital, we find out his mom, a high society German lady, is not anywhere near as enamored of the Nazi cause as uh, her son is. And we find out she is actually harboring a refugee Jewish girl in her antechamber, in her dead daughter's bedroom. Also, I think there's a whole book to be written about that dead daughter character inga and like what's up with her in this movie and like how Mm -hmm. much she comes through in this film um and they never say like we never get anything nothing you never know what happens nothing and he says that people don't really know even though i feel like it's been a couple years but he's like people don't really know that she's gone so we can successfully pretend she's her like so, but we see a picture of her, and she would have been alive within the past four years, right? Is that what that that's what that means, right? Because she had the pass a passport for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's he's found out there's a Jewish girl living in the attic. He, at first, he's like he hates her. He's afraid of her. Is like spewing all of the same 
uh, like anti-Semitic stuff that they've been teaching him in class. But as he slowly gets to know the real person in front of him, he very slowly starts to change his mind. Eventually, it feels like that's getting more and more dangerous. Germany is losing. It's like very quickly in the process of losing the war. Russians and Americans are encroaching from either side. Things are getting more desperate. Eventually, the mom gets found out for having either for having harbored refugees or just for being part of the whole underground resistance, and is killed for it and is hung in the in the town square. Jojo and Elsa are alone in the house for months, although that part kind of passes by in montage eventually. At the very end, the Nazi youth leader, played by Sam Rockwell, who's kind of been watching out for Jojo this whole time, city is overrun by the Russians and the Americans, and anybody who's a Nazi is getting hauled off to be killed, and he pulls Jojo out of his uniform and says, get away from him starts shouting all of the the racist anti-semitic stuff at jojo so that the american soldiers will think jojo's a jew that sam rockwell's a hateful nazi take him off to be killed and let jojo get away which he does to go back and free ilsa you think and he's like (laughs) no germany won the war and then he eventually relents and takes her out and shows her because i mean because she is taking care of him and he thinks that once she's free, she'll just leave and he'll be completely yes. alone in life. That is true. He does think that he that's does think why that she's doing it. Yes, that's true. But it is still deeply messed up. It's still like mm-hmm. a horrible moment in the in the movie. When to to backtrack a little bit, the moment when he stabs her and she's so calm about it, and yeah. just like that part is brutal. Shocked yeah. me that he actually in this like the way the movie set up you don't think he's gonna actually get in the skin and he stabs yeah. her it's mm-hmm. wild yeah she has three thousand times the life experience he has mm-hmm. like just her attitude and reaction to everything i think especially the second time knowing that her fiance is dead uh and jojo is like faking all these letters from her fiance which yeah. he thinks she thinks are real like watching her reactions and like oh. how she puts up with him and is amused sometimes and is disturbed other times. Like she handles that that actress absolutely beautifully. Like she doesn't have to do anything, and you you know if you know what's going on on a rewatch, the beauty of just her tiny mannerisms when he's doing that perfect. Yeah. I have a, a couple of quick thoughts about the finale. This is what we were talking about, the big yeah. war scene. First of all, I think all three of the last Taika movies, Wilder People, Ragnarok, this, have like action climaxes that go up to 12 when the rest of the movie has been like an eight or a, a nine in terms of wildness and intensity. Both of them don't so much escalate as just like <laughs> go crazy, go stupid for one last scene yeah. that they like really throw everything into. I love in that scene that like the only people still alive to fight for the army are all the people who were rejected by the army, mm-hmm. like the children and the women and our disabled gay Nazi faves, mm-hmm. you know, like all the people who we've seen the Nazi army turn down are like the only people still alive to fight for it in its last breath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder how deep it goes because they say that Rockwell has is in charge of planning the attack, like the defense of the city. 
uh-huh. in this like random attack that's happening. Uh-huh. I do wonder, like, is he failing on purpose? Like, how uh, deep does his total betrayal and loss there go? Yeah. An interesting thing that I saw also on the Amazon Prime general trivia thing was that all of the decorations that he's wearing on his uniform mean actual specific things from the German military. And apparently he's like very highly decorated, a quote unquote war hero for that side before he gets, before he's disabled and sent back, which I think is an interesting, just like a little bit of detail to add too, is that he is like so highly decorated. And then he completely like has a, a change of heart, a disillusionment, a personal disgust with, I don't know. Yeah. Or is it just like that they're losing now and he can't, you don't get yeah. to go necessarily too deep into his like personal choice of that. Maybe he has already had the arc that Jojo goes on, you know, sure. yeah. he has already had the disillusionment arc. And also in that last scene, both him, when they're in their like dream costume, both him and Alfie are, have like capes covered with pink triangles, mm-hmm. which mm. is the Nazi symbol they would put on anyone who was a homosexual to send them to the concentration camp. So that I'm sure is a huge part of it. Yeah. Somewhat of a side note, but around JoJo's age, when I was eight, I visited Dachau in Germany. Yeah. And it was the most horrifying thing I've ever experienced just on a taped walkthrough of it. So I can't even, like, you just think about it the whole movie of, like, what's actually going on and the terror of it. And then, yeah, the glory of that scene, the final scene of the kids fighting and not even understanding what they're fighting for or against her was so sad i've got just a little bit of behind the scenes stuff that i want to cover mostly relating to the timeline which i think is really interesting so in 2010 taika's mother gives him the book to read says like this is a non-conventional take on world war ii that i think you will like and apparently also her father taika's grandfather fought against the nazis So he reads the book. He loves it. This is right after finishing Boy, his second movie. He writes the author and gets permission to do it. And he wants to make it in New Zealand on the same like super cheap budget as his other films, as his third movie. Like all the way back then. He He wrote the script in 2011. And he said basically just like it was impossible to pitch, which I'm sure is true. But just like any studio was like, yeah, we're not going to give you any money to make the imaginary Hitler movie. (laughs) Although it did end up on the blacklist in 2012. So people like knew about it, which I think has come up a little bit on the podcast. That's like the list they put out in Hollywood every year of like the 30 best scripts that have not been made into a movie yet. Mm. And that was on it back in 2012 after boy. So like people knew what it was and then it just sort of, got left behind and then after thor ragnarok was so big fox searchlight was like we would like to do something with that guy and went back and found the script and asked him if he would come back and do it and he said this really like meant a lot to me but he said like when he came back to the script his goal with it was to make it a love letter to all mothers Mm -hmm. and because he said that him having children like profoundly changed his view of his childhood and that was like the big thing that was different coming back to it after when he wrote it the first time. Yeah. That's 
part of the whole thing I love about this movie is that like we know Taika grew up like being raised by a single Jewish mother, having like an absentee Maori father who was an artist who was like the co-founder of the Satan slaves biker gang. <laughs> you know, like Taika is like probably I think as a kid obsessed with his father, this guy who like isn't around and lives on the coast and maybe sees once a year of that, you know. And so much of his movies have focused so extremely on that part of his upbringing and like so rarely on the Jewish side or on, you know, like he's made like three movies about what it's like to lose a mother and be left with just your father. So in this one that he's sort of like not doing what ifs and not tiptoeing around it and being like, this is what it's like to be a little boy growing up with a single mother who's trying so hard when you also are not appreciating her and kind of wants your father back. And I just thought that was really beautiful to see after watching all of this other, that he sort of like comes around to his mother in such a big way. Okay. I agree. I also think that part of this like plays into why that scene with Scarlett Johansson and the beard is so great Mm. is like this as the spiritual sequel to boy makes so much sense because Hitler as a worse, even more deranged and depraved and bad version of the bad dad from that movie, who is, like, not around but is fun and who he has, like, made up all of these kind of, like, superhero stories about, they, like, are totally on the same track. And, like, that disillusionment going even further is totally there, but then, like, to be able to pull in the thing that that movie never gets is a response from the mother. Like, the w- one thing that you see of the mom is, like, her looking off sadly into the sunset as, like, you know she's gonna die with the birth of his younger brother. Mm-hmm. But it, like, gets the response. Scarlett Johansson is still tragic, but she, like, gets to have something to say about it, which I think is really cool. This is also the only of his movies that passes the Bechdel test which is something your mom asked about him. But in the scenes mm. between Scarlett and Elsa, like talking about Elsa's life. Yeah, you mentioned something earlier about that with the her having lived so much more of a life. And mm-hmm. she has the line of, I don't feel like I've lived at all. And Rosie says, you've lived more than anyone else. And that was written so beautifully. The What does it mean to be a woman and looking in the yeah. eyes of a tiger? And then you get that resolution where she's sitting there kind of, if you notice in the montage too, she wears some of um, Rosie's clothes because that's obviously what's there. She has on a little green sweater that Scarlett Johansson's wearing in the beginning. So she's having to kind of take on that role. Mm-hmm. Ugh, those beautiful two scenes. Yeah. Really great. The house report, Rachel house was not in this movie. She did shoot a scene for it that got cut, which is where she's an American soldier sort of giving some sort of speech immediately after the battle is won. Uh huh. I would have loved to see it. But she was, like in Boy, the acting coach for the child actors throughout this whole film. Oh, whoa. Yeah, I saw that I saw that in an interview that she was like, okay, so she's still there. Yeah, she still <laughs> has a big imprint on this movie, even not on screen. Does anyone have a joke they want to call out or a favorite favorite funny moment in this? Just Yorkie's whole being. I, I think my favorite is when he says the paper-like material because he's finally uh, <laughs> the big hero that JoJo's wanted to be the entire movie. Uh-huh. And he waddles up and JoJo's in the little like cardboard costume and he's so enamored by Yorkie getting to be the soldier and he's got on, yeah, paper. That's my favorite bit, I think. 
Oh, and when um Tyga says um he's gonna go eat unicorn for dinner, he's like, oh, gotta go. I'm gonna go eat unicorn for dinner, and he jumps out the window. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the bit about there just being clones is really funny. <laughs> That's pretty funny, and I think it ties into one of my beloved TV shows, Archer, where one of the characters is probably some sort of Nazi clone. Very fun stuff. I think that's pretty weird. Who knows? There might be some weird. I mean, like, what's messed up? You know what's me- you know what? No, I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> no, please. I decided. I what's decided, messed up? I decided not to start a sentence with "You know what's messed up about Nazis?" Besides everything. <laughs> They probably, I mean, they probably were engaged in some pretty weird pseudoscientific, probably not what you see in, like, X-Men or anything like that. But, like, they were trying to get the nuclear bomb, like, before the physicists in the U.S. could do it, who were, a lot of them were German-Jewish physicists who had been chased out of Germany at the beginning of the whole rise rise of fascism. LSD mind control, could it be? Time travel could be. They're trying to set up like an alternate dimension for something. I mean, uh-huh. you don't know. Okay. That's what Nolan's new movie is about. He's making an Oppenheimer movie right now. Oh, wow. About that moment in the war. Interesting. Wade, did you have a favorite joke? I love when he asks Hitler if he thinks he's ugly, and Tyke just like looks at him and gives him a moment and then says, Yes. <laughs> I also love when Yorkie sees Jojo at the end and drops the half of the bazooka he's carrying and it blows up a building and he just goes, oh god. (laughs) I think Jojo has a lot of funny lines too. At the end, when she like reveals that, that her fiance is dead and the letters were coming from him and he goes, well, that's weird. Who wrote these then? <laughs> okay, MVP. Lena, MVP. We're going to say other than the protagonist, I'm just going to take off JoJo himself. So everyone else is fair game. Easy. I already spoke on him a million times. Sam Rockwell. I think he hmm. gives such a life to this movie and is like a perfect side character that is so necessary and beautifully portrayed. I love him. Emmett, MVP. I would say Scarlett Johansson. She has two incredible scenes. The one where she's playing like three sides of a conversation um, with her son. And then also the one with Ilsa where she's like, you got to fight. You got to survive. Who knew that I would come around on old ScarJo? Greatest (laughs) actress ever alive, ever. Most capable to play anyone of anyone ever. Have you seen Don John? No, I have not. Oh, watch that one. And then... <laughs> Wait, who's your MVP? My MVP is definitely Yorkie, mm. played by uh, Archie Yates. He's so good. He's so funny. I just think he's my favorite part, like every time he shows up. And he was definitely also like the thing I loved the most about this movie when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Has anyone seen his Home Alone movie? No, no. what? Is he the one in the new Home Alone? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but like, it's got to be at least a little bit good if he's the lead in it the whole time. Yeah. Wait, I think this is what happens in Home Alone 3 or whatever <laughs> it's called. 
And please don't come at me if I accidentally spoil this for you. If you listen to this episode before you watch the movie, I have not watched the movie, so I didn't do it on purpose. But I think Macaulay Culkin, de-aged, comes through a time warp (laughs) in space, and together they fight off Joe Pesci and the other guy, and Joe Pesci and the other guy in some weird, like, dinosaur suits also. And that's what Home Alone 4 is. Can I just tell you what that movie is actually about? Because it's kind of even crazier than that. Sure. It's about... The story is that it's like a poor family, newlyweds who are about to lose their house, uh-huh. find out that like something they sold at a garage sale is extremely valuable and could save their life. Try to break into the house next door while they're all gone on vacation to like do a victimless climb to get the thing back and be able to like continue living and not be homeless. And when they get to the other house, it's the kid home alone who just like destroys them and causes intense physical pain to them for half an hour. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's horrible. <laughs> and like, that's the pitch. They made the robbers like the sympathetic heart of the movie. And then they just get, like, demolished by a little kid. (laughs) Wow. Okay, final thoughts. Any final thoughts on Jojo Rabbit? Anything we haven't talked about we want to mention? Lena? Oh, one more scene I do want to mention. Another moment in the final battle. When he's the slow motion of everyone running around him, you just get his unfiltered, like, view of it. His eyes, you're so there with him. That 10-year-old actor, love it another beautiful moment just wanted to mention that final thought though i love the movie we'll probably watch again for a fourth time Mm. emmett final thoughts final thoughts is twice in this movie taika waititi as hitler gets defenestrated once by himself and once by jojo kicking him right out the window both of those times it reminded me of the australian tv show danger five in which they're always chasing down Hitler and throwing him out windows, which is really fun. That movie doesn't engage in any of the serious sort of themes that this movie engages in. In fact, I don't think it does anything seriously or of worth at all, but it is delightfully fun to watch. It's very funny to see Hitler get thrown out of windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Wade? Final thoughts? I love the use of the music throughout, like the American pop music done in German covers, particularly the opening credits, which are kind of like making Nazism into Beatlemania yeah. as they play the German yeah. version of I Want to Hold Your Hand. And you like see all the crowds cheering and like going wild. Yeah. We also haven't mentioned the German Shepherd joke, <laughs> which wow, that's good. is like <laughs> the most insane joke ever put in film and they do it and those guys are also there fighting at the end the shepherds are out oh there. yeah <laughs> i i really do love this movie and i think like the 20 minute section from the start of the inspector scene by the way that's steven merchant who played caliban and logan as the head guy i think he's really good that through like the butterfly scene which is so mm. beautiful into him just seeing the shoes and then immediately after that the quick cuts to like the small windows on the top of all the houses around them, like the people who are still looking, even though they are being like ignored into sort of the scene with him and Elsa. And then the montage of them living together, like 
all of that is just like pitch perfect. Like that's a perfect 25 minutes of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you should watch this for that alone. It is our favorite time of each and every week. Bums the word. The quiz where I have movies and I'm going to give you guys hints about them. Whoever can guess the most correctly wins. I have today 10 movies where the mother dies. Oh, I don't. Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) So sorry. Spoiler for these 10 movies. (laughs) That is linking all 10 of these 10 movies where a mother dies. Let's do it. Movie number one. Is a 1942 drama. Is it Bambi? It is indeed Bambi. Yeah! That is one point to Emmett. Film number two is a 2007 rom-com. Hmm, what to say about this movie without giving it away? It's about a young man in a very interesting romantic relationship uh, with someone who's not a person. He's in a romantic relationship, not with another human being, but with something else. Oh. It's sort of like the, I would say, one of the quintessential rom-com dreamy stars is the lead in this weird, quirky movie. Is it Lars and the Real Girl? It is indeed. <laughs> Ryan Gosling and Lars and the Real Girl. Well, I've never seen a movie ever. According to Lena, I just watched The Notebook for the first time ever, and it blew my mind, frankly. Did you enjoy it? I I mean, yeah, but it was just like so, so much stranger than I expected. I feel like that's a movie that everyone seems to have seen, and I'd never seen it, and so I watched it. And sexy James Marsden. Mm-hmm. Film number three, 1989 comedy drama. This is adapted from a play, both The play and the film are very popular. This is about a group of women in a small town. Oh, Steel Magnolias. No, right? Yes, Steel Magnolias. Woo, my mom will be so proud of me. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Film number four is a 2016 comedy adapted from a book. This is about someone on the run from the law. And the wacky misadventures they get up to. Sort of a buddy cop movie. It's a younger guy and an older guy as they're trying to escape the authorities. Is it Bad Grandpa? (laughs) It is not Bad Grandpa. It is another New Zealand film. Can you give us someone who was in it? Yes, this film also stars Rachel House. Was this The Hunt for the Wilder People? It is Hunt for the Wilder People. Damn. Damn, did not realize Taika was on the table. That's the only one in here. I'll say that. Okay. Film number five is a 1988 animated drama. It's difficult to say what this is about without immediately giving it away, but it's a period piece. It takes place in the past and about a, a group of friends way, 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 way in the past. I'd land before time. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is correct. Wow. The land before time. Wow. Thank you, everyone. Thank wow. you. <laughs> Excellent work. Film number six. This is a 2001 fantasy film. 
It is adapted from the book. It's the first in a series of like boarding school children adventures. Is it Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? It is indeed. Or the Philosopher's Stone. I'm a new uh, I'm a new Potter fan. Like within the past month, I've become absolutely obsessed with Harry Potter. So I missed out my entire life. What what house are you? I'm a Slytherin. Mm. Mm. Emmett? Ravenclaw. Wade? Are you a Hufflepuff? I identify as a Ravenclaw. Oh, interesting, interesting. Self-identification only. But I think the whole... (laughs) I think the whole system is a little flawed, if we're being honest. Fair. Yeah, okay, so it's it's a hat that sits on your head, and then (laughs) it's like, you should definitely do this, but if you're like, well, maybe, then it's like, yeah, maybe you're right. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe right, and do whatever you want. Well, it's like the four the four archetypes are like you're either the protagonist, uh, smart, boring, uh, or straight up evil. Horrible, horrible <laughs> person. Oh, what's funny about that though is I went to um the Harry Potter store recently, and they have so much stuff if you're a Slytherin or a Gryffindor. And literally nothing if you were <laughs> wow. either of the other two. I got like, they have like the scarf that I got is mm-hmm. like made in the same factory that the ones were made for the movie. Hufflepuff gets the quirky little random kitschy one. Wow. So I got an awesome scarf. <laughs> Classism strikes again. Yeah. So. And it's all the rich kids in Gryffindor and Slytherin too. I mean, maybe yeah. Gryffindor might be giving out those, you know, those like, uh, what is it? The sports scholarships. But I tell you what, you know, the kids, the kids who got in on the academic scholarships, that's Ravenclaw. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Film number seven is a 2014 science fiction film. I'm going to say this is saying superhero film. I would say a science fiction film. This is from another funny auteur director a la Taika. It is sort of within a bigger series, but like the start of its own little mini series. Uh, you said it was a superhero movie? It takes place in outer space. It is adapted from comics, which is why I think they're saying it's a superhero movie. In outer space. But it's sort of about like a group of misfits all coming uh, together. Guardians of the Galaxy. His mom dies in the very first that scene. That is correct. Oh, that's what so I was going to guess. Damn. Should have gone with my gut. All right. We have three more. And the score is currently Emmett five, Lena two. Still anyone's game. Okay. (laughs) Still anyone's game. I do have a tiebreaker if we tie it up. So I'm ready. Film number eight, 1997, a drama. It also has child actors in it. And it is adapted from a classic novel, a classic English novel. The two leads are children. And one of them is played by Elijah Wood. Not the title character, though. Oliver Twist with Elijah Wood playing the artful dodger. It is. It is, Emmett. Never seen. I want to watch that now. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. I feel like I watched it growing up. Wait, get this. I saw Oliver on the West End. With, well, maybe it was the West End. I was young. I Who can say? I probably romanticized it. But it did have Rowan Atkinson in it. And that was dope. <laughs> <laughs> and I still remember that. Those kids. Wow. They could really sing. Artful <laughs> Dodger was the first role that was stolen from me in my um, famous acting career. Should have been the Dodger. But alas, I am not a boy. 
so they gave it to a boy. Damn. That's terrible. You would be good as that. I could definitely see that. It, I was. I'm still upset about it, but it's fine. We'll we'll move on. Uh, speaking of still upset, film number nine is a 2005 science fiction film. This is one of those movies that's both a sequel and a prequel, and both the end of a series and the middle of a series. Is this Star Wars 3, Revenge of the Sith? It is indeed. <laughs> oh, my boyfriend's going to be so sad that I did not know that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I really tried to divide these equally between what I felt was your knowledge bases, but maybe I played into Emmett's hand a little bit too much this time. It's fine, it's fine, I'll forgive you. <laughs> okay, film number 10. This is decidedly not a part of Emmett's beloved canon of films. <laughs> this is a 2011 family comedy uh, adapted from a book. It is about a family dealing with the grief of losing a mother that decide to do something totally crazy, something totally wacky, and that's what the title is. It's what the family did. Oh, we we bought a zoo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I've seen that movie one time. I could not tell you a single thing about it except for there's a zoo in it. Also, Scarlett Johansson. I'm reading. Also, how was Dumbo not on this list? Oh, oh wow. One. You should just get an extra point classic. just for saying that right now. <laughs> Baby mine. That, like, you get a whole... That was my lullaby growing up. I'll give an extra point for that. Thank you. Thank you. Finding Nemo was the tiebreaker. Ooh. Oh, so similar vein. Mm. Yeah. Another role that I would love to play and will never get to is Nemo. <laughs> that musical slaps. Listen to it. Alina... We're sorry that you couldn't play Nemo or the Artful Dodger, but we're glad that you were here today with us. Thank you. I loved it so much. Anything you want to plug or anywhere the people can find you online? I'm on Instagram, Lena Bledsoe. Also, last time I was on this podcast was right before I went to Cedar Point, and I said, if I didn't get to sing Dua Lipa at Cedar Point, I would quit, and I didn't get to sing Dua Lipa, uh, but unfortunately I didn't stick to my guns and did not quit, so I wanted to give the people you know, that update. <laughs> Wow. wow so sorry to well, disappoint thank you for being thank honest. you for your honesty yeah yeah of course thank you for being honest and thank you for being here and also question if we end up doing twilight six the batman will you come on to talk about it with us <laughs> <laughs> i might tease myself yes should we do an episode on the Batman saying it's part of the Twilight series? <laughs> if we don't, I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> We're, okay, so now that's the next update. Is if we if I don't get to talk about Robert Pattinson again, I quit the podcast. <laughs> yes, um, please let me speak on the love of my life, Robert Pattinson again. Yes, amen. That's just the kind of wild thing that can happen on Cinema Bubbles. That's why you listen to us every week. You never know what we might throw at you. Every week. Every single week, Emin. That is true. And every single week we've been counting down until we can finally see Jordan Peele's Nope. 22 weeks until we're going to talk about it. But this week we have finally seen the trailer. Mm. We have seen it premiered at the Super Bowl. Emmett, what was your reaction to a new summer movie? as they're saying, from Jordan Peele. A summer movie. It looks awesome. I had no idea yeah, about it anything. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, just no idea what was happening uh, uh-huh. with any of it. 
but I was like, oh, there's a bunch of cool actors doing scary stuff and bad things are going to happen. And if you, what you say about like it being the summer movie to us and Get Out's prestige horror, then I think we're in for the best summer scare since Jaws. I think like this is going to be mm. unhinged. Wow. How about you, Lena? <laughs> I loved in the trailer. So like Kiki Palmer, everyone has in their minds like who she is as an actor and as a person. Mm-hmm. And you get that. And then she gets thrown into the air by who knows what. And you're just like, oh, I'm terrified already. And also, like I said about aliens, is it about monsters? You don't, you get just yeah. enough. It looks, yeah, so amazing. I'm very excited. Well, with Jordan, like, can you really trust like, can you ever really be sure what it's about? Like, even if it is aliens, are they really aliens? You know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not so sure. I'm more convinced than ever that Kaluuya is playing Chris in this from really? Get Out. Really? Really? I mean, the fact that they, like, don't say his name in the trailer or any press materials, maybe it's just like a fan theory I'm putting on it. But if you had some, like, truly horrifying stuff happen to you at a big white family in New York, wouldn't you move to like an all black cattle ranch in yeah. California? <laughs> he doesn't say so- much in the trailer. Oh, I I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, but yeah, very freaked out and uh, excited to see excited to be back in the hands of the master again, whatever, <laughs> whatever journey he thinks we need to go on. I'm excited to take it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. look, if movie theaters want to start like, doing special screenings of his first two big horror films um you know like to to ramp up for it in the weeks previously no one's going to complain about that people want reasons to get back into movie theaters give them something better than like what death on the nile i think is what's out right now the 355 get real get real Mm -hmm. give the people what they want (laughs) Yeah, and throw Keanu in there too, you freaks, because you know you want to. <laughs> yeah, that would get everybody. That'd get everybody getting warmed up. There are a couple subway stations here where you gotta ride the escalator down like two minutes in order to get to the actual track. And I am always thinking about us and that like iconic <sighs> shot of her ready oh, for the no! final battle, I riding never, the escalator I'm down. Never getting on the subway That's ever again. Thank horrible. you. Horrible. <laughs> horrible. Cool. Well, this was awesome. We're going to be back on Friday ranking all of Taika Waititi's movies and announcing our next series. You want to be there for that. We're back in uncharted territory after successfully completing our first listener chosen series. I won. Yeah. And I I guess we should say thank you. Thank you, Lena, for taking us on this journey because I love it. I truly campaigned for this one. So full circle for this one. If you had to say what series you would like us to see again down the road, since you've been so successful in your previous pick, what would you what would you recommend here at the very end? If I hadn't nominated anything, what I would have campaigned for would have been Sarsborn. I think watching all of those because it's the same story done differently. I think that hmm. would be so interesting because the last time y'all did that, it ended kind of oddly. What was that? <laughs> The, yeah, Dirty Run Scoundrels. Yeah, that one was fun to <laughs> listen to. It didn't sound like y'all had the best time. No. But uh, that one would be, yeah, I think I would vote Star is Born. Or Shrek, just because that's fun. Yeah. 
if we allow Emmett to talk about a star is born 2018 on this podcast, he's going to lose all of the loyal listeners. we have. (laughs) So it cannot happen. I'll get internet canceled by my own mother. If I talk about that film. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Emmett, any final words? Anything yeah, you want to say? Get us, off of here. Get us off of here before we say something worse. <laughs> Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 